All right, Salam alaikum, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, we're going to be talking about the Muslim American identity. Um, my name is Ritha. I am currently a student at NYU. And today we are so, so honored to be joined by Brother Khaled Beydoun and Sister Ittihaj Muhammad. Um, so we're just going to go ahead and jump right in. I'm super excited to be talking about the Muslim American identity today. Um, obviously, Everybody knows, uh, both of you guys, you guys have done amazing work, but just to give a little bit of a brief intro, I'm gonna introduce you and then we can jump right into the questions. Um, I'm gonna start with Sister Ifti Hajj, who has done so much amazing work. Um, she is an American fencer and a 2016 Olympic medalist, a five-time senior world medalist and a world champion in the sport of fencing. Um, and in August, 2016, she became the first American woman to complete compete in the Olympics in hijab and is also the first Muslim American to win an Olympic medal for the United States. She's a three-time All-American from Duke University with a dual degree in international relations and African studies. She's really doing it all. Um, and in 2014, she launched her own clothing company, which aims to bring affordable, modest clothing to the United States market. Um, this summer, they actually released a Barbie doll after Ibtihaj Muhammad, which is super cool. Um, and it, it's just amazing to see representation like that. Uh, she's a sports ambassador with the U.S. Department of State's Empowering Women and Girls Through Sports Initiative. And she works closely with organizations like Athletes for Impact and the Special Olympics. She was named Time Magazine's one, one of Time Magazine's 100 most influentials. Um, and Ibtihaj is an important figure in the global discussion on equality and the importance of sport. Her voice continues to unite both the sport and the non-sports world. And we are so, so grateful to have her here with us today. And now on to Brother Khaled Beydoun. Um, Khaled Beydoun is a law professor, author, and public intellectual, and he serves as a law professor at Wayne State University and a scholar in residence at the Burke and Klein Center at Harvard University and associate director of the Damon J. Keith Center for Civil Rights in Detroit. Professor Beydoun is the author of the critically acclaimed book, American Islamophobia, Understanding the Roots and Rise of Fear, and co-editor of Islamophobia and the Law, published by University of Cambridge Press. His academic work has been featured in top academic journals, including the UCLA Review, Northeastern Law Review, the California Law Review, um, and so many more. Um, and he works with uh, Islamophobia and structures of Islamophobia, both locally and nationally and abroad. Um, and he was named the extraordinary professor by the University of Western Cape in South Africa. And he joined the Desmond Tutu Center for Religion and so Religious and Social Justice as a faculty member um, in 2021. Uh, he is a native of Detroit, Michigan, and he holds degrees from the University of Michigan, the University of Toronto, UCLA, and Harvard, mashallah. So we're so excited to hear from him and hear his insight. Um, so just to reiterate, today we'll be talking about the Muslim American identity, which you know is a very packed and nuanced topic, um, but we're just gonna go ahead and jump right in. We have 20 minutes. Um, so inshallah, we'll get through and get to hear from both of you on the questions that we have. So kind of starting off on um, the topic, which is the Muslim American identity, I think it's so exciting to have both of you because you guys are doing completely different and unique work but that's the commonality is that you both are very prominent Muslim Americans. So I guess my first question, either of you can answer first, is I wanna ask you about your role navigating being unapologetically Muslim in the spotlight that you're in, um, and what does it mean to be unapologetically Muslim? I can tell Khalid to go first, or and then if the Hajj can jump in. Okay, Sister of the Hajj, you can, you can go first if you'd like. Um, I realize that we're short on time, so just in the interest of time, I will just go. 
Um, uh, first of all, assalamu alaikum. I'm really excited to have like great conversation. Um, I feel like it's so interesting this day and time that we're in and just existing as, as Muslims. And for me, living at the intersection of so many different identities as someone who's African-American, someone who's Muslim and also a woman, I feel like I've never um, really struggled with this idea of like a sense of belonging. That's something that um, I know uh, kind of had this like ripple effect uh, through the United States, especially during 9-11 and is this idea that as Muslims, can we also be American? And I think as an African-American, that's not ever something that I've necessarily struggled with, but for me, what it means to be unapologetically Muslim is to be comfortable with your identity, um, to really be strong in a sense that you're comfortable expressing yourself. And I feel like there's so much power in that. Um, I, I've learned that through sport and that, you know, it's really difficult to please everyone. You're always going to have, you know, haters or people who are just not you know, um, have an interest in who you are and what you do and doubt the things that you're capable of. And I, I've always found that that's my superpower, not caring what other people think and really abandoning what society's limited expectations of me as an ethnic and religious minority and also as a woman. So um, I guess just to be super concise in my answer, um, really being comfortable with who you are and expressing that and being, uh, being comfortable expressing your your Islam, I think, is what it means to be unapologet unapologetically Muslim to me. I think for me, being unapologetic about your Muslim identity, um, is it's an obligation, especially, you know, in the, in the world we live in today, you know, this broader war on terror world where, uh, you know, Muslims are obviously police stigmatized and demonized. Um, there's a, a strong legal and political pressure for us to be silent and essentially conform to pre-existing sensibilities. Uh, for me, it's critical, uh, you know, as a, not only a Muslim, but sort of a subaltern uh, thinker and individual to sort of challenge that uh, and not only be proud of who you are, but to sort of supersede that and address issues uh, of broader Muslim concern, um, especially issues of concern that are neglected in the mainstream media space, the popular space, so being unapologetic, you know, is that additional sort of responsibility to talk about what's happening in places like uh, Xinjiang with Uyghur Muslims, what's, ha what's happening with Kashmiris in Kashmir, what's happening now in live, uh, in real time in places like Karnataka and in India to Muslims globally. Uh, it's recognition of uh, having a subaltern but privileged position here in the United States as Muslim American to speak up for those who can't speak uh, and to speak on issues that are sadly not only neglected, but covered up by a range of institutions and corporations who benefit from uh, issues of dehumanization of Muslims globally. No, those are two such varying answers, but so, so important. I think Ibti Haj's point um, about, you know, all the intersection of identity really like emphasizes um, resilience. And then Khalid, obviously, you know, thinking about how we can work towards the change we want to see is also really important. So thank you so much for that. And then also thinking about Muslim identity um, and each of, you know, the work that each of you do in, in, you know, different fields. How do you think your Muslim identity intersects with the work each of you do, each of you do day to day? Um, what does Muslim identity mean in the fields that you're in? I don't know if uh, you remember, Rida, the, uh, there was a commentator who 
um, you know, very like infamously said that LeBron James should just shut up and dribble, right? That like his job as an athlete is to perform and not to have a voice um, and not to address the things that are happening to his community. And I think as African-Americans, like there's, we've seen over the past, you know, few years at this point, uh, this really, I think, emerging moment of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and how I feel like that has really empowered a lot of different communities. Even us, I think, as Muslims and um, a lot of the issues that we're facing and that we have historically faced um, when it comes to our identity in the West. And as an athlete, I've always felt such a, a really strong commitment to using my platform for good. Uh, my biggest sport heroes are Muhammad Ali and Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. And I honestly can't think of two greater Muslim athletes that I feel like um, I stand on the, the shoulders of. You know, I realized that for much of their careers, they both independently, you know, sacrificed so much for other people. And um, I know as an African-American how difficult things can be. Um, and I feel like the things that I'm facing now don't even come close to what my ancestors have faced. So I just always want to use my platform for good. And I also feel like doing good is just an obligation on us as Muslims. And um, it's something that to me keeps the remembrance of God, you know, almost on the tip of my tongue all the time. No, mashallah, for sure. Even you, you know, being the representation for so many people is so, so important. Um, I also love Mahmoud Abdurraouf. I think he's amazing. And, you know, I think that's so great that you brought that up. And, you know, it it's amazing how you think of, you know, sports and the intersection of sports and social justice. It's really, really um, interesting and cool. Um, I'll pass it off to Khalid. Yeah, so for me, you know, I work, I work in the legal field and as a legal academic, anybody who knows anything about those two spheres know that these are, uh, you know, heavily white supremacist, heavily Zionist spaces where speaking on the issues that I speak about um, perpetuate a range of minefields, right? Not only minefields that look to silence me on the issues that I care about, but minefields that look, you know, to push conformity on a range of levels. So my experience being a being a law professor, uh, you know, has been, um, you know, making, you know, essentially assuming the risk that speaking on specific issues is going to negate opportunities for me from specific schools, institutions. But but I'm I'm happy with that, and I'm cool with that, and I go in with the idea that uh, Islam to me fundamentally is a liberation theology, right? So it's if I'm just using my faith as a way to sort of, you know, garner wealth or prestige for me, that I'm missing the essence of what my faith is. Islam at every juncture, whether in, in American history or global history, uh, the objective has been to sort of, you know, uplift the most vulnerable and the most oppressed. So as a law professor, if I'm not speaking on what's happening in Palestine, if I'm not speaking on what's happening in, in Xinjiang and in, in China and Kashmir, then I'm falling short of my political responsibility uh, of, of not only being a Muslim, but being a Muslim in a legal academic space where people like me are far and few between. And when they do reach those spaces, they're more than keen to conform and essentially assimilate to you know, pre-existing sensibilities of how a assimilated uh, law professor should behave. No, for sure. And I think the similar theme with both of you, um, especially what you just said, is that, you know, when I think of the work that both of you are doing, you're setting a precedent in the structures that you're in and you're setting, you know, like um, something 
for future people who will be in your field um, to look at like, no, this is not acceptable. No, you know, we're not going to, you know, accept Islamophobia or accept the stereotypes that are put onto us um, just by practicing your religion. And like you said, doing good. So I think that's so beautiful and, and so inspiring. Um, and then kind of moving on to, you know, just looking at the current climate as well. Um, and, you know, what's been happening ar around the world. Uh, and, you know, like the issue of hijab uh, with the work that you do, Khalid, with Islamophobia and, and structures and, and policies that are put into place. And then obviously, if the you being such a prominent, prevalent Muslim uh, hijab wearing athlete um, and public figure, um, with all the recent backlash with hijab, what does wearing hijab mean as a Muslim trailblazer? And how do you push back and combat negative stereotypes? I think this, this you know, varies for both of you on a individual level, but then also on a structural broader level. So um, this question is for both of you, but if the Hajj, I'll let you start and then um, Khalid can uh, follow up. I think that hijab, or sorry, uh, the West media, Hollywood have really hijacked what hijab means, the identity of hijab. Um, and they really made it political and it's been used as a tool. I think that women's bodies are being sacrificed in a way that affects our day-to-day -day lives. Um, and for me, wearing hijab, I feel like I'm a part of a community. And it's, I understand like for me, it's a religious obligation, but it's also a conscious choice that I make. And being part of that community, I feel like I have a responsibility to speak up against the things that are happening. Um, and honestly, it's been really difficult, you know, over the past, few months even, like I had to take a break from social. I found it really overwhelming, the, especially the news coming out of places like France, like India. Um, and be, it, in some ways, you know, you almost feel helpless. Like, what can I do? I have friends on the ground who are really, really involved politically in France. And um, what I think my mission is and what I always am emphatically saying across my social channels is that I understand that everybody has choices, um, but I think what's really important that, and what we all need to fight for is that all of our choices be um, respected. And with hijab, I feel like hijab should always be a choice and we globally need to learn um, tolerance and also that we need to respect, you know, a woman's right to cover and not just when it comes to the Hasidic communities, not just when it comes to the Orthodox, Orthodox Christian communities, but also Muslim women as well, and stop using hijab as a political tool. Yeah, to, to echo sister, uh, sister of Tahaj's point is that, look, if these countries who claim to be democracies are gonna extend free exercise of religion rights to individuals who are Hindu, Jewish, Christian, and honor the ways in which they dress and choose not to dress, then they cannot be democracies unless they extend those very same rights to their Muslim communities, right? Um, places like Quebec, places like France, uh, places like India. In the United States, we have the free exercise of religion, but there are still situational headscarf bans and police departments, places of employment and so on and so forth. And beyond this being just, you know, I think it's a misnomer to only think about this as being driven by media. Um, Islamophobia is structural, uh, and that's and it's spearheaded by law. It's spearheaded by policy, right? So um, we have to push for more than just better representation. Push for more than just acceptance and tolerance. We have to dismantle these policies, right? We have to strike down these laws and policies that 
um, disable the ability of Muslim women, uh, Muslim men sometimes to don beards in specific contexts, to be able to, uh, to, to practice the religion, not only in ways that they see fit, but in ways that the United States Constitu Constitution extends us, free exercise of religion. Um, otherwise, these constitutional provisions and, and laws are nothing but myths. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that, um, you know, it's also intersected the representation in the media and then also what's happening in the structural side of it. Um, and I think that uh, what you mentioned is really important, like dismantling that and actively combat combating that is so, so important. So we have about uh, two minutes left on the clock. Um, I guess I'm just going to ask you guys a quick uh, question to kind of wrap this up because I'm so interested to hear your answer. Um, because you know you've done so much work and there is so much to look forward to in the future and you both are in such different fields you know Khalid you're doing so much work in academia and you're um, you know releasing so much for people to talk about and bringing up these conversations that are so important and then if they had if they had your um, you know being this representation that is so needed that is going to help so many people both in you know just fencing and then sports and then Muslim women going into unconventional fields in general um, so I guess the question is what change are you hoping to see, one, one change that you're hoping to leave behind and see in the respective fields that you're in? I know it's hard to answer in like one, one sentence, but feel I'll, free to just give your thoughts. I'll, I'll be really quick. I, I want to see more, not only more people of color and Muslims within legal academia, but more critical scholars. There's a current attack on critical race theory. I'm a critical race theorist. To see more critical thinkers within legal academia is something I'd like to see. I feel really um, excited that not only like other millennials, but Gen Z, and to me how confident they are in their Islam and in their identity. I think that we owe a lot of that to social media and being able to find our tribe, if you will. Um, so I'm just excited for what's next. I think what people don't realize about us hijabis is that the pressure to remove it really only makes our resolve to continue a lot stronger. So inshallah, I'm, I'm excited for what's next. Awesome. I love both of those answers and inshallah they will happen. Um, I'm so grateful that I was able to talk to you guys today and just learn from you. You both gave such amazing answers to all the questions. So insightful. Um, and inshallah, these conversations keep happening because of people like you doing work in the fields that you're in. Um, and hopefully this won't be the last time that, you know, uh, we get to interact or, you know, we have this, these discussions. But thank you so, so much. Um, and, you know, uh, we look forward to seeing all the amazing work that you're going to do in the future. Thank you, Rida. Thank you so much. Salam. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>